Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. Welcome to episode 19. This time, we're going to take a look at, well, what COVID has taught us about van life. Yes, there are lessons to be learned. We're also going to talk a little bit about switches. I had a very interesting question about that. Whether you should have a bulkhead or not, we'll talk about that a lot, and a very, well, a cheap thing that I find very useful. We'll get into it. Well, folks, thank you very much for listening. I really appreciate having you here. We're all in this weird time of COVID-19, and I know everybody is sick of hearing about COVID-19. It's all that's on the news everywhere. And I am not going to belabor it, but I do want to take the opportunity for folks to take a look and realize what we can learn from this. We're in a time where we're being put in an experience that we'd never expected to have. We all were attracted to van life for a few different reasons, but I think all of us had one thing in common, and that was the love of independence the love of not depending on other people. And now we find that our independence is somewhat stifled. Either we're holed up in a brick and mortar house somewhere, or we found a place to park the van and we're hiding there, or we're still trying to make it out there on the road. And some of us are finding that it's not so friendly out there right now. I've, I've seen reports of people's vans being vandalized, and that is not a good pun just because they're in a van and they're in someone's community and the people in that community don't want them there. So let's take a look at what we can learn from this. Now, there are many reasons that people go to van life. Uh, My reason was, is that I wanted the independence to be able to hop in my vehicle and go anywhere I wanted without worrying about having to find a place to eat or having to find a place to sleep or having to find a place to use the bathroom. I wanted all of that with me and it has done well for me. I've been all over the country in my van and in has just been wonderful to be able to just say, Hey, I'm tired. I'm going to sleep now. Or, Hey, I'm hungry. I'm going to make a steak and just be able to do that without having to rely on anybody else. I think that's true for most van lifers, no matter if they're full-time or part-time or just dreaming about it. But now we can't. And it lets us take a look and realize some of the facts of van life. So one of those facts is we are really not as independent as we want to be. Now, of course, this varies from person to person and stuff, but let's just think about some basic mechanics of being in a van or a school bus or any kind of vehicle. You don't have that much space. Even if you're in a school bus or a cube van or one of the larger vehicles, space is limited. That means we are dependent on other people for providing the stuff that we need that we would have space for in a house, namely food and water and fuel. Now, fuel is the good news of all this, right? Those of us who are able to use fuel can actually buy it for the cheapest prices we've seen in decades, and that is a great thing. But those of us who are holed up somewhere and need food are finding it difficult because we don't have space to store eight months' worth of food in our vans, and it's getting hard to find. It's at the very least getting hard to find the food that you want. And uh, this is especially true for our vegan folk who, you know, they want to eat just vegetables. That's their choice. That's what they want. And fresh vegetables right now are somewhat hard to find, depending on where you were. Um, I've been having a hard time getting lettuce, and I live in Chicago, which actually has a pretty solid food supply right now. 
<laughs> we're not even going to talk about toilet paper because uh, we've uh, heard that story more than once. So we have to realize that as people who are attracted to van life, we are dependent on these communities that we visit to supply us. And that's, a, that's an interesting thing just to keep in mind. We aren't as independent as we'd like to think. We are outside of society to some extent. In fact, this is part of the problem right now. Society doesn't know what to do with us. They've closed the campgrounds. They've closed the parks. They've become less friendly to vans just being parked at, say, Walmart, for example, because they don't know who we are or what to think of us. Transience, transience, and I don't use that word as a derogatory term. It, It just means somebody who's in a place temporarily have always been mistrusted throughout history. Uh, there are ethnic groups in Europe who traditionally have been transients, and they are often reviled, unfairly so. The same is true in the Middle East. Uh, if you visit Israel, you may get a talking to about the Bedouins and how they just won't settle down, and that's because that's not who they are, but they're looked down upon for it. Van life folks are often in that same boat, and we're really seeing that come to a head right now. And it's unfortunate. And it also means that when society has to adjust to something like a coronavirus, a novel coronavirus, it doesn't know what to do. And it seems what it did was it just ignored us and didn't give us any place to go. Now, I'm saying us, meaning the van life community as a whole. If you've been listening to this podcast at all, you know that I'm holed up in the basement of a brick-and-mortar home where I'm actually working long hours helping out a disaster response organization. I'm fine, but I am also involved in all the communities and social media and seeing what's happening to them. Those folks who are in van life overseas who aren't in their home countries are having a really interesting time. If you watch YouTube, you can see what they've done. Um, Several of them flew home, which was difficult, and then they had to quarantine themselves. The only folks I know who didn't, who I follow, are the Combi Life folks, Ben and Leah, who are stuck in Morocco right now in an apartment because they experienced this fear of strangers problem there, and they didn't feel safe staying in the van. So another thing that some van lifers are learning is that while they like being independent and being on their own, (laughs) van life is a very social thing for them. There are folks that just travel from one van life community to another, and they're hardly ever parking by themselves. They're parking with groups of people, and that's trickier now because of the social distancing thing. Some of them are still doing it. They found a group of, you know, three or five vans, and they hang out together, and They've just accepted that that's a safe group and that's fine, that works. But others, you know, what would you, how would you think if a van rolled up to where you were parked and some people came out and said, hi, I'm Joe. You might be a little less comfortable with that situation than you were before. So those are many of the negative things that this virus has taught us about van life. Some of the, the realities that maybe we don't like. But we still have the positives that we've always had. We still know that there are a lot of kind people out there. I've seen many, many stories of van life people being in some sort of trouble and other people coming to their rescue, whether they are also van life people or just kind people. There are folks all over the country offering up their farmland or their driveways or their backyards to folks who are stuck right now without a place to stay. And again, I'm going to plug them one more time, vanlifer.co, vanlifer.co, Sacha's site, 
has listings of everybody on there who's offering help. So if you're one of those people who's stuck, definitely check that out. Link in the show notes, as always. So kindness has not gone away. In fact, it's it's actually, I, I see more of it now that we're in these times than I have before. It's just, you have to get past that distrust of strangers thing. Also, let's keep in mind here, we still have our homes attached to our backs. Even though I'm stuck in the basement of a home right now, my van's out front and it's ready to go. I know that I can hop in that van and go if I need to. Now, if I do that, it's probably because my uh, Team Rubicon, the organization I work for, is going to send me somewhere. Uh, I'm not about to go out and do any vacationing right now. But it's just a comfort to know that that's there. I can control my space. I can control my environment. I know there's no virus in that van. So no matter how much fear I might have of catching the virus from somebody else, and honestly, I don't have that much fear. I have more awareness than fear. I have my little cocoon that I built that is my mobile home. And nothing to do with COVID has changed that. It's still something I have that I can use whenever I want. And that to me is probably the best thing about van life. So if you've had experiences with unusual things during this time and you'd like to share them, I am all ears. I would love to hear your stories. You can email me at jeff at builttogo.com or hit me up on the Facebook page or whatever. Get a hold of me any way you'd like. And I'd be happy to listen and uh, possibly put it on the show if I thought it was interesting and you thought that was a good idea. At any rate, I hope everybody is doing well during this very, very unusual time, and we will get through this. I hope to meet you guys somewhere out in the road. I am wondering what I'm going to be doing this year as far as taking the van out, because right now I don't know. Okay, enough COVID stuff. Let's do some tech talk. Uh, A bulkhead. So, a little side story here. I grew up in Massachusetts, in the northeastern part of Massachusetts, actually in Salem, Massachusetts. And, well, I learned that that we had our own language up there to some extent. There were a lot of words that we used that aren't used around the rest of the country. And uh, one of those is a bubbla. Now, of course, we never said our R's. So, a bubbla in the rest of the country would be a bubbler. And that's just a water fountain. Um, And then the basement, if you were to say somebody, hey, I have to go to the basement... That meant you had to go to the bathroom because in most schools, the basement was actually where the bathroom was because the schools were built before there were bathrooms indoors. At least the schools I went to, which uh, one of them was built in 1870. Anyway, uh, we also called all forms of soda, not pop, but tonic. And uh, milkshakes um, don't actually have ice cream in them. They're milk and syrup just shaken. It's a milkshake if you want ice cream in there, then that's a frap. One of our other weird words is bulket. Now that's bulkhead for the rest of the world. And a bulket for us was a cellar door, if you can believe that. Now, many of our cellar doors um, looked like storm cellars in the Midwest. um, They were 45 degrees to the ground and you would open them up and then walk downstairs into your basement. It's only something I've ever seen in New England. I I don't know any place else that did this and I don't know why we did it, but those were called bulkets. That's not at all what I'm talking about. All that was just pointless. It was just me wanting to talk about where I was from. When we talk about bulkheads in vans, we're talking about a wall between the cockpit and where you are in the back. Now, my van, my NV200, came with one of these. When I, when I bought the van, it had a big steel wall between the driver's seat and the back of the van. And there was no door 
The top had holes in it, so air would pass through and you could see through it, but the bottom was just solid steel. And I had to take it out. I didn't really want to take it out, but there's so little space in an NV200 that me being six feet, I didn't have six feet of space between the bulkhead and the back door, but I did between the front seats and the back door. So if I took out the bulkhead, I had plenty of space and I ended up replacing it with a curtain. It's not the best solution in the world, but it does work. That's my answer to it in my little vehicle is that a curtain is fine, but I would much rather have a bulkhead. Someday when I get a bigger vehicle, which is my current plan, I will have a bulkhead, but it will have a door. So let me talk about all the safety things around this. A bulkhead is good for a few reasons. First off, it gives you safety between the back and the front, meaning that like, let's say you slam on the brakes and you left your coffee pot out or something. <laughs> and I say this because I've done this. One of my motorhomes, I had to slam on the brakes suddenly and a coffee pot flew out all the way across the RV and hit me square in the back of the head. Uh, it was in a cabinet, but the cabinet door flew open and out came this, um, this lovely coffee pot that is now dented as is my head. Uh, a bulkhead would have prevented that. Uh, that's just one simple reason to have a bulkhead. Another is, is that from the outside, you can actually lock these things usually. And if someone broke into the front of your van, they, actually, they couldn't get in the back very easily. And it adds some stealth. You, you look in there and you see this metal wall and you think, oh, that's a work van. There's stuff back there. I don't care. All those are good things. Now, I have seen people put bulkheads in that don't have doors, like mine didn't. And I, sure, it's easier. I mean, putting in a door is, uh, is difficult and doors do take up space. Even if they're sliders, doors take up more space than no doors. But I strongly recommend you have a door simply for safety's sake. If you are asleep somewhere at night and something bad happens, being able to get through that door and get into the front and drive away is a huge benefit. And I always recommend people be ready for that no matter what. That, that just gives you an, an ultimate level of freedom that if somebody's trying to get in your van or they're menacing you from outside, being able to get up front and drive away is a huge benefit. So if you do want to have a bulkhead, please consider having a door. Also, and this is kind of a cool thing, is you can hang stuff off of them. It's another place to hang cabinets, another place to hang coats. Uh, just have some hooks there. And if they're metal, they're, they're a big magnet thing. You can put magnets on there. Anyway, Consider having a bulkhead. You do not have to buy a professional one. They can be very expensive. They do make plastic ones, but most of them are steel. If you are interested in looking at some of the steel ones, there is a website and a catalog called American Van, if you're in the U.S., and it has a whole bunch of different ones, mostly for the bigger vehicles. They do have some for the smaller vehicles. Adrian Steel is another company that makes these, but again... They're fairly expensive, and heck, you could just build one out of wood. It doesn't have to be all that substantial to be effective. So, in your van build, consider having a bulkhead. I think it's a great idea, and I honestly wish I could have one. Okay, let's have a product review. If you've listened to this podcast at all, you have learned that I am not a big fan of inverters. I think your van is best off if it's dedicated to 12 volts and that you don't waste power by trying to get things to run at 110 volts. At the same time, I know that for a lot of people, they 
just want to run 110 volt stuff because maybe they're taking stuff out of their house and they want to use it in their van or maybe they have a fridge that fits perfect but it's a 110 volt fridge so they want an inverter for that or maybe they want to play their playstation or xbox whatever the reason is it's your van do what you want i don't want an inverter i want to try to avoid it at all costs and i've done this very successfully except except for one thing my computers that i own uh, and i own several for various reasons all require 19.2 volts to charge all of them and sorry folks you can't get 19.2 volts out of 12 volts unless you mess with it now there are little voltage up converters you can get if you're handy with wiring and stuff but honestly the simplest thing to do is this if you look on amazon and yes i'll have a link you can for about 15 dollars buy an inverter that plugs into your cigarette lighter port while i'm driving i have this thing plugged in there and that's how i charge my laptops i just charge it while i'm driving and then i use it on battery as at night or when i'm not driving do actually have an inverter in the back that runs off the batteries that if I need to I will use it but this little tiny thing actually does just about all my charging and again it was only 15 bucks the one I have is old I got it at Radio Shack if you remember that I kind of miss Radio Shack these days and it's only 75 watts but my charger is only 60 watts so that is fine if I were to do it again, I'd probably get a 100 or 150 watt charger, and I would also get one that had a built-in USB charger, so you could charge something USB and plug something in at the same time. It's a great little simple way to have an inverter when you need it, but not have to spend $500 on a 3000 watt inverter. Now, yes, you're only going to get modified sine wave. You're not going to get pure sine wave. But for most things, especially charging laptops, you don't need pure sine wave. That brick that comes with your laptop, that does all the power conditioning you need. Those things are designed to take all different kinds of power and give the computer what it needs. So don't even worry about that. It'll also power a fan fine, too. Like, say, you had a big box fan. That would work, too. Just remember that if you're going to use your cigarette lighter plug from the front of the van you're using your starter battery and you got to be careful with that because you don't want to drain that so that is my plug today for uh, these little tiny inverters i think they're a great addition to any van and they won't break the bank so i got a little q a here um a lovely person by the name of erica reached out and asked me what I was doing for switches. So let's have a little talk about switches. This is also kind of a tech talk, but it's also not because I'm going to talk about specifically just what I did and not get into the whole concept of switching. But to get into the concept of switching, a switch is nothing more than something that breaks a circuit. If you didn't have the switch there, whatever you were powering would be on. The switch just interrupts that circuit and turns it off. Now we might think of switches as turning things on, but their actual purpose is to turn things off. That might be too much philosophy of this, but anyway, that's all you're doing is you're breaking the circuit. Now, 12 volt switches aren't really any different than 110 volt switches or any kind of switches. There's just different ratings for these things. 12 volt switches can be lighter duty, but their amperage also needs to be fairly high too, because generally if your voltage goes down, your amperage is going to go up. So if you buy a 110 volt switch, you can probably use it in your van. Just, just read what it says. 
if the switch's amperage rating is less than your fuse's rating, and you should have a fuse on every circuit, you're fine. What did I do? So like I've said, 800 times my van is primarily, entirely, almost 12 volts. Little van, right? That changes my switch philosophy. Where do you want to be able to hit your switches? Well, if you open the back door, the side door, I mean the sliding door, and you want to be able to turn on lights right then, right? Now, my van is rigged so that when I open the slider, lights do come on. Uh, It's just the dome light that came with the van. I have one in the back, and I left that running. I know a lot of people will cut those out. I decided to leave mine in. So I have that little bit of light. But if I reach across the van, the first thing I encounter is the sink. Now, this is the weird part, and I don't necessarily recommend this. I have all my switches attached to the cabinet that holds the sink. Yes, I'm combining water and electricity in the same cabinet. This is generally a bad idea. But remember, I'm in an NV200. I have limited space. So I decided to make this compromise, and so far I've been fine with it. I haven't had any problems. And I put all my switches in the same place. Every switch for everything in this van is in the same place. I bought, uh, and I'll have a link in the show notes, it's this, basically, it's this metal panel that's a bunch of toggle switches, and each toggle switch has its own circuit breaker, and that was my solution. I ran every piece of wiring in the van to this switch block, and I can control everything from here, and this is the part I really like. I can reach this from either side door or while I'm in bed. So if I'm sleeping in bed and I want to turn the lights off, um, depending on which way I'm sleeping, I actually rotate. I will put my head towards the front of the van sometimes and towards the back of the van sometimes, depending on a number of weird factors. I can turn them off with my hands or because of where I positioned them, I can actually use my big toe and turn them off, which I've done more times than I care to mention. Each switch has a red light so I can tell when it's on. And um, each one has a label. These switches, when you buy them, come with these little labels that you can stick on there. So I have these nice professional-looking labels for each one. You have to be a little bit creative in the naming because I have two fans, and I only have one switch that says fan because there's only one sticker. But there was one that said aerator, and I thought, oh, well, we'll call the one in the roof the aerator, and we'll call the fan that's attached to the side the fan these things have a marine history, at least mine does. This is meant for a boat, so it's waterproof, and on a fishing boat, you might very well have an aerator chamber to keep bait alive. I think that's where that word came from. So these things are interesting because the way you wire them is you basically treat them as a source of power. Every light, every socket, everything in the van goes to this switch, and then out of this switch comes a ground, obviously, and a power. And that power, that hot lead, goes directly to your battery with a fuse. Or, and I know this is controversial, you can run it to the load terminal of your MPPT solar controller, or your PWM solar controller, either or. Here's the thing, and this is not obvious. You have to actually read a bit to understand this. The load terminal on your solar controller is not meant to handle a lot of wattage. It is not meant to handle your entire van. It is meant to just do maybe some lights or something, and that's it. In my van, my amperage draw is so low that I can use it for everything except the refrigerator, which actually isn't on the switch block and is wired directly to the battery. 
So that's what I did in my van. I also have switches on everything else individually because they tend to come with switches. I have a map light that has its own switch. I have a 12-volt socket and power meter that has its own switch. And each of my ceiling lights has dimmers and switches built into them. So I've got total control of my situation here, and I love it, and I think it was a great solution. The switch block cost about 50 bucks, which sounds like a lot, but it's one of those key components that you don't want to fail. You want this to actually be good quality. And it doubles as a fuse block, so I didn't need a fuse block as well. My switches are my fuse block, which saved me space and a little bit of money. So Erica, that's how I did it. I think it worked well. I know you mentioned you have an Econo line, so it's a bigger van. So you're probably not going to be able to reach it from everywhere like I can in my van, which is good because it just means you have more space. So if you do decide to go that route, consider where you're going to put it. You want it to be in a place where basically the two most important places in my mind are when you first get into the van and when you're in bed. So maybe on the wall by the slider, maybe... I don't know. You'll have to see how much space you have there to run wires and such. But great question. Thank you very much for asking. I, I actually love switches. Switches are one of my favorite things, so I'm very happy to talk about it. If anyone has any other questions about switches, probably in a future episode, I'll talk a lot about switches and switching theory and some of the problems you can run into, like dimmer switches for LEDs and stuff can be tricky. Thank you, Erica. I do appreciate it. All right, let's talk about uh, a place to visit. I had a great experience uh, last year. Was last year? Man, time is weird. I think it was last year. Uh, my son, Simon, the music guy, and I were traveling, as we have done several times, and we went to... Well, actually, we were in southeastern Oregon, but we had to go back to Salt Lake City because he was flying home from there. So I, I planned a route through Idaho because I hadn't been to Idaho in a while and I mostly only know southern Idaho. I didn't really know much of the panhandle at all. And there are a number of places to visit here. I'm going to have several places to visit from the panhandle of Idaho. But the one I wanted to talk to today is called Craters of the Moon. Craters of the Moon. Now, here's a weird little factoid. In downtown Chicago, there is the Chicago Tribune building, which is one of the famous buildings you see all the time. It's not really a big skyscraper, but it, it's historic and very gothic, and it's right near the river. And embedded in the walls of it are pieces of all these famous things, like the Berlin Wall and the Great Pyramids of Egypt and... Uh, Notre Dame and France, all this stuff, like pieces of it are embedded in the wall of this. And it's just like this homage to imperialism where somehow these American reporters were able to go and take pieces of the pyramid. How is that possible? But they did. And they're in the side of this building. And one of the things that's there is a piece of craters of the moon. Now people get this wrong all the time. They think it's actually a moon rock which would be so valuable if that actually existed that there's no way they would glue it to the side of a building. But no, it's actually a piece of this amazing, bizarro, strange place that you can visit in Idaho. It's a volcano. It's actually a field of volcanoes, but it does look like the moon, a very dark, rich chocolate moon. Lots of caves to explore, lots of hills to hike, great vistas, and just this sense that you are in another world. 
there's a campground there that's built into the park that is of course closed right now but we're talking about normal times here that's self-serve you just pull in find a spot and then go down to the little box and throw in your 15 bucks i think it was it wasn't very expensive and you get to sleep on the moon i mean you're not really on the moon of course but you actually get that experience it's very quiet there the wildlife is a little strange and the plants are even strange. I mean, if you wanted to make a home sci-fi movie about visiting Mars, this would be the place to go. So it's up in the middle of the Idaho Panhandle, which isn't a place necessarily you're going to go unless you're going there on purpose. Go there on purpose. This is worth it. It's easy driving. You can take any size rig there all around the park. And I only got to spend a day there, but I really wish I had more time. I think I'm going to try to head back there. So... Craters of the Moon National Monument and Preserve in Idaho. Well, folks, thank you for listening to this episode 19. I really appreciate you listening. If you ever want to get in touch with me, I am Jeff. Well, Jeff Wag. That's my name. W-A-G-G, like a dog's tail with an extra G. And you can get a hold of me at jeff at builtogo.com. Music, as always, is by Simon Wag, a.k.a. Sir Mooge. And I hope you're all doing well and taking advantage of these weird times to do something you never thought you would do before. Talk to you next week.